So you should have an insert to your order of service. It's a black and white version of that gingerbread person that Nicole was talking about. If not, there are more on the table right outside the sanctuary. This chart is a playful but serious attempt to visualize the spectrums of gender identity, gender expression, biological sex, and sexual attraction. And one of the most important aspects of this chart is that the four different attributes are on four different non-intersecting lines. And what that means is that where an individual is on one of those four lines doesn't necessarily tell you anything about where that individual might identify on any of the other three lines. That also means that all the different places you can be on all those different lines means there's a huge combination of different ways of being human just through these four lenses. And at least for me, when I look out at the variety of the seven plus billion human beings, that seems about right. There are a lot of combinations out there. To give a brief overview, if you start at the top of that chart, gender identity is in your mind. Internally, do you think of yourself reflexively as more of a woman, a man, or somewhere in between? And the important caveat here is that our notions of what woman means and what man means depend a lot on the culture in which we were raised. Uh, The second is gender expression. That's that dotted line around the gender-bred person. Externally, irrespective of the other three categories, um, in your clothes, your behavior, etc., do you present yourself as more masculine or feminine, as more androgynous, or as gender-fluid? Again, keeping in mind that our perceptions of those categories, like masculine and feminine, are also deeply socially constructed. It used to be the opposite, like with pink and blue right, that uh, blue was considered a cooler um, color, so it was associated with women. How do, what is the Virgin Mary is always in blue, right? It's the Mary Magdalene that's always in red because she's that aggressive, masculine-like woman, right? At least that was how things used to be color-coded, and now things have switched. And so it's, these things are very much socially constructed. That's just one of many, many examples. The third category is attraction. You'll see that in the heart of the gender-red person. In your heart, are you sexually or romantically attracted to men, males, masculinity primarily, or to women, females, femininity? primarily or to both or to neither. Finally, there's a spectrum in regard to biological sex, which is more complicated than just whether you have XY chromosomes male or XX female. If you ask experts in medical centers, how often is a child born so noticeably atypical in terms of genitalia that a specialist in sex differentiation is called in? It's somewhere between 1 in 1,500 births and 1 in 2,000 births. So relatively common. And beyond that, there's even more people who were born with subtler forms of anatomy variations that don't show up until later in life. So what does all this mean for being gendered here in the early 21st century? Although many forms still limit individuals to checking either of two genders, you're either checking the male box or either checking the or checking the female box, increasing numbers of people identify outside of a simplistic gender binary. Uh, To give you just a few quick examples of how this is beginning to change, uh, more than four years ago, Facebook began offering more than 50 custom gender options of describing your gender presentation. That's 50 
5-0. The dating app Tinder lists 37 gender options. I'm told, right? No, seriously. Uh, you, you, you do what you do. But uh, Oregon, Maine, and Washington, D.C., those three states already allow, well, D.C. should be a state, separate sermon, already allow a third gender category on your driver's license. At least 10 countries, Australia, Bangladesh, Canada, Denmark, Germany, India, Malta, Nepal, New Zealand, and Pakistan already offer gender-neutral options on both passports or national identity cards. So, at least for me, I first began to reflect on these issues a few decades ago when reading the philosopher Judith Butler, who is not easy to read, if any of you have tried to read her stuff before, but pretty profound about what she calls gender performativity, the ways in which we learn to perform our gender, that we're kind of given these social scripts. And similar to that gender-bred person chart, Butler highlights that there is just not a simple link always between knowing someone's biological sex and knowing their gender. Long before an individual can choose for themselves, however, there are these whole industries in our society dedicated to encouraging biological girls to wear pink frilly dresses, to play with dolls and toy kitchens, to express their emotions, except anger, right? Likewise, there's a similar social construct encouraging biological boys to wear pants and the color blue, to play with cars and toys, and to be tough and to control their emotions, except for anger, right? Which we saw disturbingly demonstrated this past week at the Supreme Court nomination hearings. I'll say more about that later. The good news is that there's a growing conversation, a growing experimentation with alternative ways forward. About two weeks ago, for instance, it's always convenient when the national media gives me sermon fodder, uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, About two weeks ago, there's an article in the Washington Post titled, Was Their Child a Boy or a Girl? Naya's Parents Wanted to Let Naya Decide. Any of you see that article? Okay, I see just a few hands or so. Uh, Naya's parents chose not to publicly share the biological sex listed on their child's birth certificate. Instead, they would respectfully request, if you interact with our kid, please make an effort to use Naya's name rather than a gendered pronoun. Some people are more aggressive with this. You know, it's kind of like, it's a little creepy that you want to know what our child's below-the-belt anatomy is. They were nicer about it. (laughs) So they said, just use her name. You know, just use Naya's name. And they gave Naya clothes and toys from both sides of the gender-segregated aisles at most stores. Around age three, Naya was playing with a gender-nonspecific stuffed animal and told one of her parents that, I'm giving away the end of the story, sorry, that the stuffed animal was a boy, a he, and should be called that. And sensing that this conversation might be about more than a stuffed animal, the parent gently asked, so I hear what you're saying about the dog, that the dog wants to be called a he. Do you know what you want to be called? And Naya really nonchalantly replied, she, her, and girl. Even after that conversation, Naya's parents still don't talk much about what's on the birth certificate. Their hope is to continue to give Naya that freedom to figure out what Naya wants to be. 
there and they're open to more conversations in the future. There's actually a related article in the New York Times. I suspect the New York Times is reading the Washington Post and says, we, now we need to write a story too. Theirs was titled, uh, Male, Female, or X, The Push for a Third Choice on Official Forms. Uh, and that part of what that article was about, many things, part of what it was about that was, I thought was particularly interesting is they were looking at a gender open playgroup in Brooklyn and at least four members of that gender open playgroup that they call instead of babies, they use the term babies, so T-H-E-Y. Uh, and as excited as I am to see these signs of a more gender-liberated future, there are times that discussions around transgender awareness give the misleading impression that these issues are new, that these are these sort of new things we're dealing with in the 21st century. That's very much not the case. I have a whole lot to say about this, as, as historians do, but I want to give you a chance to hear Madison speak and sing, so I will give you three quick hops through history. The first, starting in the 1600s. In the late 17th century, for instance, we have records from the colony of Massachusetts of laws being passed against cross-dressing. And as many of you may know, what it means when people are suddenly passing laws against things, it means people are doing those things. So that's one of the ways we know people were cross-dressing in the late 1600s in Massachusetts and, and elsewhere. Skipping to the 19th century, it's important to remember that an important aspect of first-wave feminism, it was, of course, primarily about women's suffrage, primarily about getting the right to vote, but we also see these early suffragettes arguing that long skirts and cumbersome undergarments are a form of bondage, holding women back from their potential. And you used to, you know, well into second-wave feminism, many of you probably recall seeing newspaper listings that were like explicitly, these are men's jobs, these are women's jobs. Right, They aren't just jobs. It has not been that long ago. Or looking to the 20th century, long before Caitlyn Jenner, some of you will remember that on December 1st, 1952, Christine Jorgensen made international headlines with news of her successful genital transformation surgery in Copenhagen. So in a year, let's keep in mind what was going on in 1953. It's happened right at the end of 52. In a year when hydrogen bombs were being tested in the Pacific, when war was raging in Korea, when England had crowned the new queen, when Jonas Salk had, was working on the polio vaccine, the single most written about topic in the media in 1953 was Christine Jorgensen. This is not new. Uh, looking to our own time, it's significant to note that in 2010, the U.S. Department of State issued a new passport policy, in effect, allowing parents to change the legal gender of their minor children. What's significant about this is that passports are what are called breeder documents. Uh, they can be used to change state identification, school records, health records, and much more. Endocrinologists are now widely recommending puberty-inhibiting uh, hormone therapies for transgender adolescents. Medicare has lifted its ban on the coverage of transgender health care. In 2013, the fifth edition of what psychologists and psychiatrists call the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual debuted a new version of its criteria for gender dysphoria which limited the diagnosis to individuals experiencing clinically significant distress in relation to their gender, rather than saying all transgender people should be in the DSM. Because it turns out an increasing number of transgender people aren't distressed about it. Other people may be distressed about it, but they're not distressed about it. Uh, and, and have separated gender into a category wholly apart from sexuality in the DSM. 
And as of last year, 13 states had enacted laws prohibiting discrimination based on gender identity and expression in schools, and hundreds of school districts around the country, including Frederick County, have passed similar policies on a local level of non-discrimination. So looking to the future, I'll move toward my conclusion by pretty quickly listing four areas of potential change. There are more, but these are, these are four just to begin thinking about what does the future look like in regard to gender liberation. So I'll quickly go through bathrooms, which is kind of ground zero in this cultural debate, identity documents, same-sex colleges, and athletics. So bathrooms. I suspect many of you have seen in recent years this proliferation of gender-neutral bathrooms. Uh, the first time I really experienced a widespread use of gender-neutral bathrooms was at the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly, and I remember posting on social media, it turns out gender-neutral bathrooms, it turns out they're just bathrooms. And the trend may lead to a paradigm shift toward a universal design in which spaces increasingly just have bathrooms for human beings uh, that, in, that any human being can use, irrespective of gender. For such a universal design, the walls of individual stalls would likely be extended all the way or very close to the floor. Uh, and one of the most immediate advantages of having a universally accessible public restroom be the default would be to eliminate the disparity between very long lines at women's rooms and very short lines at men's rooms. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. <laughs> uh, identity documents. Many cisgendered folks. So transgender, that, that prefix trans meaning across from, your gender identity is across from one's um, biological anatomy. Cisgendered means same, so C-I-S. Uh, so that many cisgendered folk are not aware of the history of many government officials harassing and abusing people whose um, gender does not conform, obviously, to their identity documents. So and, and this, it's very similar to, I think, um, white folk have become increasingly aware of this phenomenon that um, African-Americans have known their whole life of, you know, walking while black, driving while black, and, all, and having that be an issue with government officials. A very similar thing happens when government officials see someone who doesn't appear. So removing that gender identity marker could be very liberating for many transgender people. Uh, or gender nonconforming. And for anyone with any sort of libertarian instincts, it can be fairly easy to support the argument that what's below your belt is not the government's business. Moreover, there's already a precedent for eliminating gender on identity documents that is the civil rights movement blazed a similar path in removing race from birth certificates and driver's licenses. Same-sex colleges. In a more gender-liberated world, one way forward would be to rename same-sex colleges as historically women's colleges or historically men's colleges. To give just one example of how that might work, it could be that prospective students to a historically women's college, regardless of sex identity, might be evaluated for admission based on their stated personal commitment to an institutional value of feminism. That's how that could look. Uh, athletics. While professional athletics at the highest levels might continue to be primarily gender segregated, it would be quite easy to move to gender inclusive teams for athletics at younger ages and less competitive fields of play. These sketches are only a brief reflection of future possibilities, and regardless of how we choose to move forward collectively, I don't want us to miss the heart of the matter. In researching this sermon, two of the books I read had very similar dedications, and that was really striking to me. In the first one, the author's dedication read, I wrote this book for my kids.
In the other book, it said, to all the kids who are different and the adults who ease their way. When the history of the gender liberation movement in our time is written, I hope to be among those unnamed people who helped ease the way for other human beings seeking nothing more than the freedom and the space to experiment and be their most authentic selves. It's nothing more and nothing less than that, easing the way. So holding all of that in our hearts, um, we'll have time in a few moments to, to do, uh, we'll sing Spirit of Life, and you can come forward silently if you feel led um, during that time to light a candle. Uh, but to frame this time, knowing that last week was incredibly difficult for uh, many people, I invite you to hear these words from my colleague, the Reverend Gretchen Haley. We believe you, Period. Your stories, held too long in secret and shame, they're safe here. You are safe here to grieve and rage, to reckon and reconcile, to return and restore. There is a place here for every piece of yourself. Bodies and spirit, voices and breath, broken and beautiful, bitter and still refusing to give up hope. Don't let anyone tell you that the courageous storytelling of women like Dr. Christine Blasey Ford is for nothing. Her truth, like Anita Hill and so many before her, has given other people permission and power to be real about their story and what they know to be true. So in this autumn light, there remains a path for beginning again. Don't hold back your heartbreak or your joy, your vision for a world that is already and also not yet. Let every tender longing of your heart be an offering for this time, for yourself, and for this community as we are building here already a new way. The will, the courage, the faith to be the leaders, the people, the parents, the friends, the citizens, the partners that the world and we need now. The work of justice continues.